is founder of and Extended Hand Incorporated, an organization that addresses homelessness. Rakim Sabri is mission-driven to inspire people who look like him to embrace financial education by building a team. This is a conversation that should be had at every dinner table in every classroom over the course of every holiday. Mr. Sabri believes that homelessness can be prevented in part by education in the area of personal finance. With COVID-19 stimulus checks being mailed out in the area of personal finance, Mr. Sabri recommends five ways to use the funds regardless of the amount. Welcome to Black Talk Radio News, Mr. Sabri. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Number one, pay yourself first. What are some of the ways someone would pay themselves first? Uh, so I like this question and, and I like this concept uh, because I think it's a discipline that's lost on a lot of people, particularly people in our community. Um, so when I talk about paying yourself first, what I mean is that you take a portion of whatever your income is and you put it aside simply for you. And whatever that looks like, whether it be investing in stock market or saving for a rainy day, um, in the same way that the government takes taxes out of your paycheck before you get it, and a lot of times people are rushing to pay uh, whatever their financial obligations are, whether it looks like uh, debt or some kind of household bill, we should have that same kind of diligence and, and discipline around paying ourselves. And a lot of times, um, what that looks like for me is I pay myself before I pay any bills, before I deal with any expenses. I make sure that a certain portion of my income, and I usually aim for about 10%, sometimes more, goes to me immediately before I start looking at um, spending that money or anything else. Follow-up question. So um, let's say, uh, let's call it discretionary uh, spending, paying myself first. Would uh, getting a tattoo look like paying myself? Paying for a, a tattoo, as I'm reminded, as one of my daughters uh, just recently got a tattoo, cost her about $60. Could that be considered paying yourself? Uh, I would say no. Um, so the money that you are putting aside and paying yourself first is money that you're looking to use to either hold on long term or grow. So ultimately what's happening with that, portion of your um, income is that you're putting it aside to see long-term growth over time. Um, I certainly think that that discipline in paying yourself first can be um, included in some kind of budgeting structure that allows for discretionary spending that would, um, you know, fall under that category, whether it be getting a tattoo or, um, you know, having a night out or buying an outfit. But in terms of um, the discipline paying yourself first, that money has a specific purpose, and the purpose is to grow over time. Number two, investing in your future. What does investing in one's future look like in your mind? Another good question. I think, you know, it goes hand in hand with the paying yourself first. Uh, and there's different strategies and different approaches that people take to doing that, but for me, investing in my future is that long-term planning. So um, whether you're looking at investing in a retirement account or some kind of health, um, you know, health planning, health savings account, or um, investing in the stock market with an intention of, you know, long-term investing, 
10 years plus or even life insurance right um i think that's another kind of concept that's lost on our communities is we don't prepare for death and i know that sounds pretty morbid but um succession planning is is an area of opportunity for us and an area um, where we can certainly build wealth and um so planning for your future or preparing for your future rather uh involves you know that long-term planning we're not looking at two weeks into the future we're not looking at even this year or next year we're looking at um you know like i said 10-year increments or more quick uh follow-up or a quick statement i do not find investing in a life insurance policy as being morbid um um some people may look at it that way but i do not see the logic in that and to be honest with you with you know this covid19 which this podcast um is about you know uh, wise ways to spend uh these funds that a lot of people are getting and um my aunt recently passed away as a victim of covid19 uh, as i mentioned to you prior to us beginning um the podcast but her one of her she has three children one of the daughters and they're all grown uh the oldest in his 50s she was in her 70s um but the daughter um who was in her 40s had taken out a thirty thousand dollar life insurance policy a few years ago and she just now received those funds which be you know i'm sure very helpful and it got me to thinking about it and i'm in my 50s and i don't have a life insurance uh, policy other than what the U.S. government, because of my military service, may, may you know, contribute um, to my burial and what, what have you. But I'm seriously looking into getting a policy, and not just for myself, but speaking to my other two siblings about taking one out for our mother, who's in perfect health, and we hope she stays that way and is around for a long time. Like she said, she's going to live to be over 100, and I certainly want to be in agreement with that. But at the same time, <laughs> though, I think that, you know, we should, you know, given the circumstances and this recent loss, which is a second aunt in, in about a year's time. So uh, I don't think it's morbid. You you have any further commentary on life insurance policy? Uh, not necessarily life insurance policies, although um, certainly a part of the discussion we talk about succession planning as a whole, um, there's a host of things that you can take, you know, money and and specifically we're talking about this COVID and and the uh the stimulus bill and so what people are doing with their stimulus checks, you can use that money to create uh trust, to create will, to create um, you know, the necessary legal structures that then help facilitate the process that you know you're referring to so more than you know paying a paying a year or maybe two years advance on a life insurance policy looking at how do you direct that money once um you know once somebody's demise occurs because i've seen uh, i was in financial services for the last 10 years or close to 10 years and i've seen so many horror stories where there are assets to be distributed but because there was nothing in place um, from a legal perspective to direct where those assets go, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of scrambling, there's a lot of um, 
of really discord I've seen in families around who's entitled to what and how. And so I think in addition to the urgency that, you know, you're expressing around establishing a life insurance policy, which I think is a great idea, um, there should be equal urgency on establishing things like wills, establishing things like trust. I mean, we see even celebrities in our community, um, Prince didn't have a, a will that they could find. And so his estate, there was, there was a battle around that. Um, I'm not sure what the case with Michael Jackson was. Um, but I know there, there's a few, you know, celebrities who have considerable assets that, you know, kind of had to linger and, and, and really have people fight over. Um, and so I think having a defined plan, that's why, you know, I say succession planning as far as what to do with your income or your assets um, after the fact is very important. Number three, paying your bills. Now, obviously, most people know what it's like to have and, and pay bills, but can you explain how this fits into your five-point recommendation on utilizing a stimulus check? Definitely, I know about paying bills. You know, have to budget those out uh, every month as a business, as a nonprofit, and then also as an individual. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I, I've i seen instances and, and certainly have anticipated instances of people not having to use the money that they get from the stimulus check for, you know, surviving, right, for having to pay rent, for having to pay any kind of uh, debt or, um, you know, buying food and, and, and keeping their lights on. And so I think the first uh, thought that we have, particularly in our community, um, and, and, and being heavily focused on consumerism is that, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy that new TV or I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy that new, you know, Xbox or PlayStation or a tattoo, you know, like you said. So um, more than just, you know, paying the, the bills, um, I've seen instances, too, where people are calling up the financial institutions and they're taking advantage of the fact that, you know, they may be able to defer payments on their mortgage or they may not have to pay rent you know, this month or next month or maybe the next three months, or they may be able to um, cancel interest on debts like student loans, car notes, or credit cards. But that doesn't mean that that's not going to turn back on at some point. And unfortunately, some financial institutions have a clause in their policy where, sure, we'll, we'll give you relief for this month, next month, maybe for the next three months, but at the end of that term, we expect full payment for all of the, the lost money. And, um, and, you know, I don't have an opinion or I'm not going to speak on that because, like I said, I work, on, I work in financial services. But I think it's important for people to understand the terms of this relief as it right. impacts their pockets and to understand that, you know, the, the stimulus money is not like, a, you know, it's not a bonus. It's not a vacation. And so when I talk about paying your bills, I'm th I'm talking about, you know, thinking about what can happen sometime down the line and being able to insulate or protect yourself from this, you know, mountain of debt that you may be responsible for paying, whether it be, like I said, your mortgage, your rent, your car note, or any interest deferred during this, this period of time. A quick follow-up 
on that. Uh, first of all, the average stimulus is only around $1,200. Of course, if there's a child, I believe there's an extra $500. So that could be $1,700. And that's not a lot of money. Um, or as uh, one of my friends who also uh, delves into financial education says, you know, uh, those dollars isn't, aren't money. It's currency. And there's a difference between money and currency, but we're not going to go down that road. But $1,200 is not a lot. It's not a lot. Okay. And um, another quick uh, personal antidote evidence to that is a person in my family who is retired and, and hasn't been financially um, harmed as a lot of people have been during, um, you know, this COVID-19, I guess we would call, call it uh, social distancing uh, orders, others calling it lockdown, but I think that's too strong of a language. But this person was sent a letter by their mortgage company uh, stating that they were deferring some of those payments and, and basically saying, like like you said, they didn't have to pay it, you know, until a certain date. I don't, I don't remember the exact date. And they said that, well, they're going to continue to make their payments on, on time for the very reasons that you stated, because it's not like they're forgiving the debt and say, oh, we're just going to erase that from the ledger uh, for this month during or however long, you know, this, this uh, pandemic lasts and, and there's a, a official shutdown in, in place. And so I think that was wise on her part to, you know, continue to make her payments. But I understand everybody may not be in that. Absolutely. Number four, invest in education. Now, let's say I'm a single parent and I've gotten a stimulus check of no more than, let's say, $1,700. Obviously, I can't go to college on that. So what are some of the ways to invest in my education? That's a really good question. I think, you know, it's very important to define education. Um, and, and in the lens of, you know, like you said, individuals who may not be able to afford to go to college or, you know, take additional coursework through, uh, institution, educational institution. Um, but, you know, education is everywhere, right? There's a host of online learning certifications, um, books that you can purchase. And, um, and those are all resources that can help either teach you a skill, or give you clarity on disciplines and practices that relate to your everyday life, whether that be financial education, which I'm a huge advocate for, or, um, you know, maybe somebody has an interest in coding, or maybe somebody has an interest in, um, you know, project management. So you can take, um, and, and again, this is, if all of those boxes are crossed off, right, like your survival is intact, you don't have, you know, outstanding um, bills and, and you can continue to put food on the table. If you have this excess in, um, in capital or in funding, you can certainly take that to non-traditional educational sources like, um, and there's some free ones too. You know, you can go to YouTube or, um, I believe LinkedIn provides educational opportunities for free. But, um, you know, certainly there are online courses and books and webinars and seminars, especially now with social distancing, there is a huge push and a huge effort for people to get their uh, content digitized and push it out that way. And so I think, you know, this is a good opportunity for people to learn um, or spend time learning 
things that maybe they didn't feel like they had time to dive into previously. Number five, invest through traditional mediums like stocks and real estate. And you mentioned uh, stocks earlier, but obviously we won't be able to make huge investments in stock or real estate. But what are some options I could look at using a minimum amount of funds in those areas? I think that's that's a, a myth that people um, you know kind of subscribe to in terms of investing. You know this. Uh, you know, you look at $500, you look at $1,000, you look at $1,500, um, you know, that's a good starting point for anybody to get involved with investing. Um, that's a good starting point for anybody to start building a nest egg, right? There's statistics that show that most Americans don't have $1,000 saved. And so, you know, looking at the different options, and I know I'm, I'm not answering your question directly, but I'll get back to it. But looking at the different options to start building better financial practices. Well, starting let, with, let, me, let me interject, Mr. Sabri, and, and give you um, some more background on, ground on why I framed it that way. Um, once I called up a stockbroker, I had um, made some money uh, from a 401k that I was leaving a job and I had access to those funds and I was, you know, just trying to think of ways I could uh, use those funds. It was, it wasn't a, a huge amount. It was about 700,000 made off of about, you know, a, a thousand in contributions out of my paycheck over the course of a year, which I thought was pretty good uh, in managing my 401k. Um, but I called up a stockbroker and I asked them, you know, what was the minimum amount um, you know, that they required for me to get into like futures trading or something like that. And they mentioned 5,000. Um, said if I didn't have 5,000, you know, um, then they weren't interested, uh, in handling my business. Now, I do understand now online and even possibly back then, it wasn't that long ago, uh, people can, um, invest directly in the stock market through various online platforms. But that was the context a wide frame, you know, $1,200 or $1,700 not being a whole lot because some of some of these brokerage houses do have, an, have a minimum of which they will handle account for you. Absolutely. I think, you know, that's an important point for you to highlight uh, because a lot of people, I think, are in the same position where they, you know, they've contacted advisors and the advisors have given that same um, sentiment around getting involved. And so I think it's important for me, too, to underscore, um, you know, working in financial services and being an advocate on the other side for um, financial education and, and personal finance, and that these individuals, they they work to make a commission, right? So they make a commission off of the money that you bring to them. So if you're bringing them $500, well, they're not going to make as much a commission on $500 as they would on 50000 or as they were off of 500000 And so um, it's not worth their time to sit down with somebody, and this is unfortunate, but it's not worth their time to sit down with somebody who's bringing them $500 or anything less than $5,000 to invest because they're not making a commission off of that. But like you said, um, in, in today's age, especially in today's age, it's so much easier to access um, you know, the stock market and invest from an investing perspective at a lower dollar amount if you're managing your own investments. And um, apps like Robinhood 
<clears throat> or um, Mint um, or even online platforms like TD Ameritrade or E-Trade, they have, uh, or Fidelity, they have um, eliminated commissions on the uh, purchase and sale of individual stocks and uh, on a lot of mutual funds and on a lot of ETFs, which are very popular. And so with with that flexibility now, right, where you're looking at maybe 6 to $9 plus, you know, added on to every trade that you made, and you were buying, let's call it Apple stock, for $300 a share. Well, now it's eating into what is your potential profit because for each stock that you buy and sell, you're paying 6 to $9. With the elimination of that commission cost, now all the money that you put in is all the money that you put in. And so you're not fighting from a deficit. Um, you're, 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 at, you're at level. And so I think, you know, with platforms that are easily accessible through your phone, because, you know, they all have mobile applications, CD Ameritrade is something that I use. Uh, Robinhood is something that I use. Um, there's an app called Webull is something that I use. Um, it makes trading stocks easier um, and, and certainly much more accessible. Now, I have to include a disclaimer in that um, the advice or rather the um, statements that I'm making is not financial advice around investments. I'm not licensed as an uh, investment advisor, so I don't give people advice on specific stock picks. But I can say that, um, you know, these platforms are agnostic to, you know, whoever is using them. And certainly there's no um, minimum balance requirement for you to get started. And I think, you know, like I said, with the with the amounts that we're talking about, you know, five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars, you can certainly get involved with some lower price stocks or maybe a couple of um, you know, higher price stocks. But my um advice would go back to investing in that education piece first and so understanding what you're investing in and not just throwing money at some you know, arbitrary stock because it sounds good and it looks nice and you hear that other people are investing in it. Very important point. Very important point. In fact, I did so, I felt like I did so well in managing my 401k because I had a particular 401k where I could just call up on the phone and make these, you know, dump stock, buy stock. It was that, that simple. And and so I turned a thousand into seven thousand and eight. I I thought I did good. The first time I ever even got into that. But but before I got into that, I spent two hundred dollars in, in investing on a stock market course. You know, uh, I'm not I'm not going to comment on how well the course was, but obviously it taught me enough that I could turn a thousand into seven through uh, my four hundred one k at the time. So thank you for your suggestions on ways one might spend their stimulus checks. Do you have any other suggestions or information you would like to share with the audience? Um, I, I mean, again, going back to the principles, right, paying yourself first, I think that's the most important. So, you know, even if you're in a situation where you have to use the stimulus check for, you know, survival, food, shelter, or what have you, I think a certain portion of that money should be allocated towards, you know, you and, and, and your future, what that looks like, whether it's $25, whether it's 
$50, whether it's $100, um, taking a portion of that out, um, this is not, this is untaxed money. So all that money is yours. You're not paying, you know, you're not paying it back at the end of the year. Taking a portion of that and, and putting it aside for you in whatever way that looks like and then starting to build on that habit over time. I think a lot of people think that, uh, when it comes to investing and when it comes to, um, you know, personal finance and building a portfolio, that they have to have large sums of money, like we discussed, to get started, and that they have to invest large sums of money at one time. And, and really, there's more power in investing small sums of money over a longer period of time than there is in investing a lump sum at one time. And so if we can get into the habit of, you know, taking $5 a day, or, you know, $100 every time we get paid and putting it away. Well, that money is going to grow over time, especially if you're investing it, because you're going to see the growth from the from whatever you're invested in, but you're also going to see the growth from your regular contributions to that investment. Um, and then outside of that, I mean, I just, you know, I think, you know, people should understand, you know, money is a tool. Um, and, and, and you, you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier. I know you said we're not gonna we're not gonna focus on it too much, but you know money is 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 currency. It, the, the purpose of money um, is to to move. It's for the exchange of goods and services. It's not there for you to hoard. And, and you know I'm certainly it sounds like I'm contradicting myself when I talk about saving, but um, you know you're saving with the intent of growing that money. And so that's you know that's the next step. And there's a book that really summarizes this nicely called the richest man in Babylon. And so the principles of, you know, paying yourself first, taking a portion of what you earn for you, um, whatever that looks like, 10% or more, and uh, and putting it aside and and um, growing your money, taking the money that you have and growing your money, all of those concepts are included in that book. And so I highly recommend uh, people go out and uh, and take a look at it. Speaking of books, you are an author and you have your own book out on this topic of personal financial education. Would you like to tell people about that book and any contact information if you have any services that you provide to the public that you would like to give out? Absolutely. So my book was published back in December of last year. It's called Financially Irresponsible. And um, basically what I do is I take my experiences with finance and, and I turn them into lessons, um, lessons that I think, you know, people in our community will relate to, um, and experiences that I think people in our community will relate to. And what it is that I've learned over time by focusing on financial education. And my book is divided into two parts. The first part is focusing on mindset. Um, so what is your spiritual or mental relationship with money? And how do we uh, build better relationships with our money from that perspective? And then the second part gets into, you know, everything that I've discussed here, right? Paying yourself first, um, you know, building credit, investing. And I've also included at the end of that book a glossary of terms, financial terms that I feel like are important for people to know. Um, maybe, you know, terms that not everybody has been exposed to, um, whether it's from a banking perspective or an investing perspective, um, just, you know, a, a solid starting point 
for people who, you know, may not have had exposure to financial education previously. So again, that book is called Financially Irresponsible, and it's available on Amazon electronically and um, and paperback. As far as contact information, uh, my website is my name, so it's www.rockhemsabree.com, R-A-H-K-I-M-S-A-B-R-E-E.com. And all of my social media handles is my name as well, Rakim Sabri. Well, Mr. Rakim Sabri, thank you again for joining me on Black Talk Radio News. Thank you. Thank you.